The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, quit waxing your board and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 351 with guest Rick Straw, recorded live Sunday, May 25th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, the NRTV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's trying to get a script for post-tech edge stress disorder, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell live at Pop Studios. Oh, I gotta love it. Sitting face to face. This is how radio should be. Absolutely. You know, usually you're in Vancouver. I can't see you when we're talking. No, just a disembodied voice. Right, but uh, but this is more fun. We've never even done Mondays like this. No, no, When never you've been here. Because when, whenever we do Mondays, I'm in the booth across the hall. That's right. Yeah, That's it's right. always Mark and, and Karen. Because they're funnier when they can see each other. Well, she keeps flashing him. <laughs> Can we say that on .NET Rocks? I'm just, I'm just stating facts Let's here. just say, if you're a Monday's listener, Richard, and if you're not, Richard yeah. and I are the voices of reason oh, yes, on that no, show. We are the sane ones. No two ways about it. Yes. Well, let's just get right into Better Know Framework. All right, sir, what do you got for me? So, so I want to talk about string.format. Oh, really? Specifically about the feature of the .NET Framework called composite formatting. Okay. And this, I don't know if you, you might have done it, but never named it composite formatting. But mm -hmm. composite formatting is when you use a format string that has the, the braces and the end braces. All and the, the symbols in it. Yeah, and the yeah. symbols, yeah. Exactly. So um, I started in the docs with string.format. And, of course, that brings you to the, uh, the docs on composite formatting. And here's what it has to say about that. The .NET Framework composite formatting feature takes a list of objects and a composite format string as input. The composite format string consists of fixed text intermixed with indexed placeholders called format items that correspond to the objects in the list. The formatting operation yields a result string that consists of the original fixed text intermixed with a string representation of the objects in the list. So basically, you know, the classic example is you have a, a telephone number that's just numbers. Right. And you want to format with all the 
you know, the things in, or you have a number that you want to use dollar signs and put commas in. Right, right. Format as currency. So there's a C for currency. So there's just a, a whole bunch of these little rules. And I think, you know, if you're searching through strings and you want to identify text, you're going to use regular expressions. But if you're producing strings. Right. That need to be formatted but, in you a know, certain way. In the case of stuff like dates and uh, and currency and stuff, there are whole internationalization of strings features separate from this. That's right. That are probably the you know the recommended way to go about it. It's when we get into custom formatting around our part numbers and those kinds of things unique to our products that this format is so useful. Well, actually, what happens is the composite formatting uses the culture of Windows, whatever that's on. Okay. And they all have their own formatting rules. So, so because you can see it in the docs where there's an example where you have an int 100, and then you use a format for, uh, and you can just do this with right line too. You don't need a string dot format. Sure. But uh, console.writeLine, if you pass in bracket 0 colon C, end bracket, in quotes, as the format string, it displays, you know, dollar sign $100.00 to the console on computers that have U.S. English as the current culture. Well, and that's the way you want to go about this, so that if the uh, user is actually configured for a different culture, you've right. just said, I want you to format this in the currency that's appropriate. Exactly. And that's why you're not doing specific formatting right. in your code. So this is a good idea, composite formatting. Look it up. Know it. Love it. Use it. It's better know a framework, folks. Nice. Only on .NET Rocks. <laughs> yeah, I should have gone into car sales. There you go. Maybe. Maybe. Or game shows. Oh, wait a minute. We do that. We're in game shows. Yeah, sorry. Richard, you got some uh, email for I us. I got a quick one for you here. And Why we... is there a dollar bill between us? That's I, what I don't know. It's kind of odd. Somebody stuffed the dollar bill in the window between the two booths, and I don't know who it was. And you can't get it out. It's double-pane glass. <laughs> uh, first of all, I don't know how it got in there or why it got in there, but I'm going to have to... Uh, Take the staff aside and nice. find out who's here that. to torture you. All right, I got a quick email for you. The subject line is .NET Rocks is a gateway drug. Uh oh, Richard and Carl, I just wanted to let you know that since my first hit of .NET Rocks, I've been addicted to Pwop Podcast. Awesome. This has affected my podcast listening to the point that I had to remove two other subscriptions to fit Hansel Minutes and Run As Radio. <laughs> Not only has my listening to .NET Rocks caused changes to my iPod, but also to my home life. My wife gets sick of me having earphones on or reading books about .NET SQL Server or other great technologies. The only good she sees from all this is that when I talk to her about it, I can put her to sleep quicker. Nice. Keep up the great work. In several recent shows, there have been discussion about going back to basics. I yes. cannot agree more with this idea. I am telling everyone I know about the show, and several of the developers and managers could use information about the basics more than the details of the latest technology. Yes. With all the recent additions to the Microsoft technologies, I think many people are forgetting about the basics like good architecture. Like good architecture, exactly. And that emails Patterns. from Gifford Haynes. Gifford, we're with you, man. Sorry about the addiction. Basics like composite formatting. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, I, I really think running through some core patterns and starting yeah. to think about architecture again, these are all good things. And and I'm sorry I don't have that show for you today. Nope. It's a bit of a machine here. we got to drain the shows that we've got That's out. That's right. We have. We are a lot. We recorded a lot of shows at TechEd, so we got to burn through those first. Right, but I we'll, will start sliding these in, guaranteed. For example, uh, Jeff Richter is going to be on to talk about memory management under the hood of Windows, which Absolutely. is going to be so fun. Yeah, some, some good, good things coming up. I'm listening. We're doing what you ask. And Richard, as you know, uh, our friend Greg Brill down at Infusion is, uh, has hired about 14 of our listeners. Wow. Since we started talking about the New York City tour, way back when it's way been back a while. When. It has been a while. They want another round of uh, of tour tourists 
to come and work for them. Uh, it's a great company right in Manhattan. They're going to they're gonna move you. They're going to put you up in an apartment in Manhattan uh, and pay your rent for a year. Now, they also have offices in London. Yes. And in Dubai. Dubai, if you want to go to Dubai, they sure. got offices there. So I know that, that New York's Canada, always- Toronto also. They have that Toronto office. But New York's always their big driver. But just be aware, if you enjoy this experience, there are more places to go, more opportunities to be had. That's right. And I don't think they're offering to put you up in an apartment for a year anywhere else but New York. Right. I think it's a special deal for New York City because, you know, it's cost of living, et cetera. But Absolutely. I mean, can you imagine just hanging out in New York for a year in your own apartment, like in the city? Yeah. Have the experience. Have the experience. Work with some really creative guys. Well, anyway, if you want to read more about that, go to shrinkster.com slash KH6 and uh, and have fun while you're there. You will. Eat some pretzels. <laughs> and with that, Richard, let's introduce Rick. Rick Strahl is the big kahuna and janitor at West Wind Technologies on Maui, Hawaii. The company specializes in web and distributed application development develops commercial and free tools, and provides training and mentoring with a focus on .NET, IIS, and Visual Studio. Rick's a C-sharp Microsoft MVP, a frequent contributor to magazines and books, and a frequent speaker at developer conferences and user groups all over the world. He's also co-publisher of Code Magazine. For more information, you can visit uh, www.west-win.com slash weblog or contact Rick at rstrahl, that's R-S-T-R-A-H-L, at west-win.com. Hi, Rick. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. First time for me. Yeah, well, and, you know, we we run into each other at conferences all the time, and uh, we have um, been, I, I don't know, this sounds like an apology almost, like, you know, we've been meeting <laughs> the show. Oh, now, come on, Rick. You know perfectly well I've been pursuing you for a while. It's been you yeah, well, who's been the on, coy man. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Richard has been uh, trying to track me down. He, he had me cornered at the MVP conference, and I finally had to give in. Yeah, right. well, I'm I, I surrounded by, by Bill Hack and Rob Connery, and it's like, what do I got to do, man? What do I got to do to get you on the show? <laughs> yeah, it was a little hard to turn that one down. <laughs> <laughs> but And the listeners have been asking about you. You write a great blog. Well, thank you. Yep. And you always have uh, great sessions. You know, I, I hear people come out of, when, when people are coming out of your sessions, I see like, like you know, the head spinning. <laughs> and they say, oh my God, that was awesome. That's cool. Yeah, I I, I try to uh, uh, get as much content in as I can, and sometimes that <laughs> it has that effect of head spinning. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, what's what are you, you're into? You've always been a sort of a JavaScript Ajaxy kind of guy, and uh, web development is your forte. Um, jQuery is something you've been into lately. Yeah, jQuery is uh, one of the tools that I've been using quite a bit lately, and it's one of those things that's gotten me excited. So when you guys asked, what's the latest thing that you're into, uh, I think jQuery would fit the bill quite nicely. So for the absolute novice, can you give us the elevator speech? <laughs> well, I guess we should back up a little bit and, and just uh, uh, talk about where, where jQuery really fits, which is JavaScript and client-side web programming. Okay. And you just mentioned a second ago that uh, I've always been an Ajaxy JavaScript kind of guy, and actually that's absolutely not true. <laughs> like most of the world, um, I've pretty much hated JavaScript for the longest time, and it really wasn't until Ajax came around that I even started thinking about JavaScript seriously. 
I mean, everybody's probably done some JavaScript development over the years in the course of web development, but really not seriously. You know what I mean? Mm. We're usually talking about doing a little bit of validation here or uh, opening a new window or something like that. Uh, whereas serious development with JavaScript on the client side and actually doing something useful uh, in terms of UI uh, composition and uh, serious processing on the client is something that's rather new. And I was no different. It wasn't until about two years ago, I would say, that I started even in on, on using JavaScript at all. I've always looked at JavaScript as a necessary evil. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and it, and it kind of is, you know, because if you really think about it today anyway, is I would say JavaScript is probably one of the most popular languages in terms of actual usage. Or lines written. Of the amount of people that actually are using it, I would say there's, it's probably more used than, you know, Java or, or C Sharp or VB or anything like that. Um, everybody has at least used a little bit of JavaScript and everybody knows it and it is used in a heck of a lot of web pages, actually. Well, we used to have to get get our hands into it. I mean, before, you know, seriously, it was before ASP.NET, really. And even when ASP.NET was, was just first out, I, we were still tweaking JavaScript, I was. But then, you know, the tools got really good and I just sort of forgot about it. Well, and I wonder just how much, what the percentage is between generated JavaScript and handcrafted JavaScript. Yeah. Well, and, and that's exactly where things are changing, I think. Um, uh, so in the past, it's been, we, we put a few little snippets here and there, and now it's becoming more of something that's actually part of, of the development work that happens on the client side. Some of it is generated. So if you're using ASP.NET AJAX, of course, a lot of it is generated for you. Um, if you are doing more client-centric, purely client-centric development, um, where you're talking to services that return data and then you update the DOM from that, um, then you're writing a lot more JavaScript on your own. And uh, even in that space, I think a lot of things are changing quite drastically in that there is now a lot, there are now a lot of libraries available that you can choose from so you don't, that you don't have to write everything from scratch. So mm. in the past, uh, you probably had to write some sort of framework to reuse some functionality on your own. And now there's a ton of different frameworks that are relatively mature uh, that you can use to help you with that sort of thing. And uh, so some of the things that you typically need to do and you need wrapping up uh, is things like the AJAX functionality on the client. So the amount of code that goes into making an AJAX callback if you do it with raw X, XML HTTP calls is fairly severe. Um, if you want to do it right, do error handling and do everything that goes with the actual callbacks, like routing it to the appropriate handler and whatnot, it actually ends up being a fair amount of code. And when you do that, uh, you don't want to rewrite that code every time. So all of that sort of stuff needs to be wrapped up in libraries. Okay. Well, and, and I think most folks are using Ajax exactly that way, whether it's the, I still call it the Atlas library, but I suppose that's wrong. But you know what I mean? Just outdated, yeah. that's all. Yeah, why Why do we need, the only thing I could see, the only reason I could see that we'd want to touch that code by hand is that oh, those libraries get a little fat. Yeah, well, there's actually a couple of things. So when we're talking about ASP.NET AJAX or codename Atlas as it was in the beginning, um, the problem with that particular library is for the client-side stuff, it doesn't really offer you a whole lot of uh, functionality in terms of what you can do with it on the client-side if you're doing client-centric development. So uh, Microsoft Ajax provides you functionality for 
server-side programming, and it generates a bunch of JavaScript for you. So update panel, for example, there's a, a boatload of uh, JavaScript that gets generated into the page and in, in the libraries that, that come into play, actually, to make all of that work. So that's, that's a very server-centric approach, but if you wanted to actually write pure JavaScript code on the client side, which means you actually write your own JavaScript code to update page elements and pull data down from mm. the server using maybe the uh, uh, web services, then all of a sudden you have to write your own code, and then the library is actually not that useful for client-side development. Right. You know, I think we talked about this, Carl, with yep. uh, Dino Esposito. Esposito. Yeah, yes. and, he, and he was pointing out that's a very interesting f fact that there are different ways to implement AJAX or at least asynchronous updating of web pages. Right. And some of them, including ASP.NET AJAX, still put all the work on the server right. where what we wanted to do was harness the client. Right. Well, you know, client, client machines power has changed a lot and bandwidth has changed and a lot of things have changed since the, since the early days. Where does jQuery fit into all of this? Okay, so jQuery is basically a pure client script library. Um, it uh, provides functionality that is otherwise not available for, at least for ASP.NET developers, in the uh, ASP.NET AJAX library. So mm. what its biggest strength is, is essentially that it provides you uh, the ability to manipulate the DOM in a very easy-to-use manner, which is, of course in my opinion anyway, the biggest pain point of doing JavaScript. It's not so much JavaScript by itself, but it's manipulating the browser, right? Now, the DOM, of course, is the, the internal document object model that accesses all the different, the ways that you can access the different elements in the browser, on the page and in Windows and all of that kind of thing. Is that what Correct. you're talking about? So, um, so I guess that simplifies the amount of code that you have to write. You can sort of stuff... Uh, you know, a whole bunch of what would be lines of hand-coded JavaScript into one jQuery line? Is that the whole idea? That's, it's not just one line, but yeah, it, right. it greatly reduces Fewer the amount lines. of code that you have to write um, inside of JavaScript to manipulate the DOM. So um, the mechanism that jQuery uses for making that happen is, um, well, there's actually a number of things that come into play here. So one of the things is uh, selectors which allow you basically to go in and select elements in the DOM using CSS-like syntax. So when you are working in, in an HTML document and you're using client script to manipulate that document, one thing that comes up over and over again is how do I actually select an element that I want to update or that I want to make a change to? And oftentimes that happens to be a single element or sometimes it's a whole bunch of elements together. Uh, that you want to manipulate all in batch. So what jQuery does is it has the concept of selectors where you can call the jQuery function or dollar sign, which is a shortcut for the jQuery function that allows you to select elements in the document. And so you can go in and say, well, I want to select all the rows in a table, for example, and get back a jQuery object, which is mm. essentially a, uh, an array-like object that gives you all those elements selected from that one CSS selector syntax piece. Sounds a little like Link. It is, in a way. Yes, you can call it. <laughs> in fact, there's a number of similarities with Link. So one of the things that you can do once you have uh, a selection of objects that you've, uh, DOM elements that you've actually pulled out of the document, you can then uh, perform actions on those documents. You can either iterate over it manually if you choose to, or um, jQuery provides uh, a few 
uh, I don't know how many functions there are actually, but uh, uh, quite a few functions that you can operate on that match set. So you can say in batch, for example, all those elements that have been selected, go apply a specific CSS class against it, or go in and change this particular style against all the elements that have been selected. Well, well, you know, an interesting it's an interesting thought about Link and, and uh, jQuery because there's a there's a uh, there's a project on Codeplex called Link to JavaScript. And okay. uh, it's um, an implementation of link to objects implemented in JavaScript. I wonder what the difference is. I don't know much about this, but yeah, I, just I haven't heard to of it, it, so I can't really say. But I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> it is built using a set of extension methods built on top of the JavaScript array object. Um, but I'm not sure if it's for a link for a, a link to the DOM or if it's just built using JavaScript to access data in JavaScript. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, it sounds like a way to create syntax to go through uh, a JavaScript array. Yeah, that's what it looks like. We'll we'll uh, we'll get the skinny on that, and we'll definitely look <laughs> okay. to it. Well, it, to some degree, that sounds a little bit similar to what jQuery actually does. So, so the effect is essentially that when you do the selection, you get uh, an array, or an, it's actually not an array, but it's an array-like object back that has a length and that has actual elements inside of it, and then you can apply all this functionality. So there's a couple of cool things that you can do. The first thing is uh, there's a ton of methods that you can apply against it. So there's things like styling, so you can go in and use, for example, the CSS method to apply individual styles against all the matched elements. Nice. You can go in, add uh, class names. So add class is actually uh, a method that you can apply to it, which is very, very useful. So, for example, uh, when you might want to use add classes, you can select every other row in a table and provide kind of alternating row type display and then hmm. apply a class like, a, say, a grid alternate CSS class against it to give it a different color. So it's one line of code to basically do that um, without having to write any even server-side code to render say, a different uh, uh, display mechanism for, for that particular row, for those alternating rows. Well, that, that, and that's interesting because you could write JavaScript for that. You could definitely walk through that grid and apply a different style to alternating between the rows. Absolutely, but it's a heck of a lot easier to do it with one line of code, right? Right. So you, the selection actually gives you all those elements that you want, and then you can apply um, methods or rather functions against these matched elements. So there's a, there's a ton of stuff that you can do. So, um, so, so some of the things that I've just mentioned are just CSS styling, which, of course, you can also do if you, uh, uh, if you want to with pure CSS styling, because essentially the syntax that you use for selectors is CSS 2.1. Okay. So CSS selectors are you know, part of the, the actual specification for CSS. So a lot of the syntax that you use with jQuery to select the actual elements is based on pure CSS syntax. So if you're an HTML wonk and you know how CSS selectors work, jQuery will be like second nature to you already. If you don't, and this was really uh, kind of my, my thing, I wasn't really all that great with selectors to start with. Once I started using jQuery, I got a whole lot better at using CSS selectors all of a sudden because I was using them with jQuery and realized, hey, I can actually do this with CSS selectors a lot. Uh, so you can use that same syntax in your CSS style sheets. So maybe we need to go over exactly what a CSS selector is and how it works, why it's cool. That's a good idea. Um, so CSS is, of course, uh, cascading style sheets. 
and, and you can use a style sheet for styling an HTML document. So styles are used as typically, if you use a CSS style sheet, is you typically create CSS classes within that style sheet, and then you can apply those classes to individual elements. Right, and so these classes are collections of style elements? Correct, and they're applied against any of the uh, elements that have a class equals uh, in, in the HTML markup, right. right? So if you have a DOM element and it has class equals grid alternate, then it will look up in the CSS style sheet, find that particular class element, and then apply all the attributes that you've actually um, chose to, all the so, styles and it might that be you've that actually it, applied to it. It has a different background color, that it has a different hover over color, that it's in a different font. I mean, there's a lot of things you can put into a class like that. Correct. So that's a class, and that's that's what... Uh, most people are probably familiar with, including myself, some time ago. And then there's, of course, you can also do things like use the pound sign to select an individual element, right? So you can say mm-hmm. pound GD entries and point it maybe at a data grid called GD entries, okay? And that's actually selector syntax where you're saying point at this particular element and then apply whatever elements you have defined on it. It's defined the same way as you define a CSS class, except instead of using the dot class name, you use pound uh, element name. And then uh, you can use a comma to maybe say, I want another element that also has that same class applied to it. So I can say pound GD entries, pound uh, whatever, uh, error display, and have it be another DOM element. And then it applies to that. Hey, this is Carl. I just need to take a minute to tell you about the latest offerings from our friends at Telerik. As you probably know, they've recently released their huge pack of web controls built on top of ASP.NET AJAX that'll help you build impossibly fast and interactive applications in no time. But you've just got to check out their Windows Form stuff. It looks just like WPF. How about a carousel component in Windows Forms? How about a super powerful grid view control and 32 other desktop components with dazzling WPF-like features? In reporting, Telerik has this new design surface that simulates graph paper. And it's got so many advanced page layout capabilities, it looks more like graphic design software. So visit www.telerik.com and download a free trial. And make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Now, this has been a quite a technical discussion and a little bit dry, but I just want to point out uh, this jQuery UI website which uh, we're linking to, it's ui.jquery.com, with some extremely beautiful demos of, yes. of things is, that... It's you, very WPF-ish, isn't uh, it? That's exactly what I was thinking, Richard. It's very Silverlight-like, and especially that first one, that slider with a semi-transparent uh, slider. Oh, man. Or the second one, I guess, the slider gallery. Just unbelievable. Yeah. And the cool thing about this is that a lot of these... Uh, uh, Control these plugins that you're looking at actually are done with uh, very little code. <laughs> so yeah. these plugins are actually designed in such a way that you can get them up and running with uh, almost no code at all. You basically uh, there are extenders that extend existing controls. So by simply providing uh, a few simple markup tags on, on some some of these elements, it's very very easy through JavaScript to attach these behaviors onto these controls. So there's a there's a number of really really cool controls. For example, there's a sortable control mm-hmm. that allows you, for example, to have a static list 
uh, a UL list, an unordered list, an HTML, and make it sortable. And then when you actually sort it, it has nice UI effects associated with it. So when you drag an item into the next one, it kind of slides into place instead of just uh, um, just kind of going to the next thing and, and being there and there, just showing up. There's a beautiful image cropper. Did you see that, Richard? Yeah, I did. So wow. and I'm still trying to think about all the coding that goes on behind this. This looks like it would be a bear to code. View well, source. that's the beauty of it. Um, so first of all, if you're using these plugins, you're writing very, very little code. Uh, yeah. Most of these plugins are designed with, literally, you write like two or three lines of code. So for example, the, 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 the sortable that I mentioned, which you can actually look at in the jQuery photo album I linked here, and which is a shrinkster.com Y67. Um, if you go to the admin page there, you can actually see that sortable. And what you can do there is, in order to make that happen, actually, there's literally one line of code that points at the list. Uh, you select, actually, the list, the UL list, and then you say, dot sortable. And then you apply one or two attributes to that to make it, to uh, actually limit it to certain uh, elements that you want to sort and a handle, and that's all it takes. So it's literally one line of code with a few options that you have to apply in, in, in an actual object selector. It's very, very easy to make that happen. Hmm. And, and there's obviously more code underlying it, but you've just wrapped it up in such a way that you're able to do this relatively painlessly. Well, actually, I didn't do it, so this is actually part of the UI jQuery.com, yeah? Right. I'm, I'm looking at the code for the cropper, and it's, um, it's, not, it's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing there from an implementation standpoint no. of the end user. Now, of course, there's a lot more code on the inside of these controls, of these right. plugins. Right, right. Well, you, and ready. you see the script references there to, to jQuery.js and UI.js. Like, that must be the meat. Right. So there's typically two other libraries that you use. So you use jQuery, and there is kind of a UI base, which is uh, some core functionality, and then the actual implementation of the actual plugin that you usually use. But if you actually take a look underneath the covers of some of these controls or these plugins, you'll find that there's not a horrendous amount of uh, code involved with them. I mean, there'll be 100 lines of JavaScript code, which, considering the functionality that some of these things provide, is not all that much. And that kind of is a, a, a test to the power of what jQuery can accomplish for you. It just reduces yeah. the amount of JavaScript code that you write drastically. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the functionality is lovely. I mean, you know, I feel like suddenly we have real JavaScript controls. Hmm. Yeah, so in a way, it feels like this is what JavaScript should have been. Right. Hmm. You know, I mean, uh, it just makes it so much easier to actually manipulate um, the content of the DOM by moving things around, by being able to update content very easily. And the most important thing maybe that I haven't mentioned yet is the fact that jQuery isolates you from all the differences between different browsers for the most part. So when you apply certain styles, for example, like let's say you want to apply an opacity to something, which is a, a specific CSS style that's not supported directly by uh, all browsers. So Internet Explorer doesn't have an opacity style, for example. When you apply that, jQuery is actually smart enough to know that Internet Explorer does it a certain other way, which is using a filter, and uses that instead to apply opacity. Wow. So the same sort of thing can be uh, applied when you're using, for example, retrieving a width of an element or setting the text of an element, which is different in, in various browsers. 
Now, I see that you um, on your blog have a, um, an example where you're using jQuery with WCF. Yes. So, oh, so WCF has stuff that you can use from JavaScript. Well, WCF actually has, uh, well, let's back up here a second. So uh, in version 3.5 of mm-hmm. WCF, which is the version that just shipped with uh, .NET 3.5, there is a new mechanism um, for REST services. Okay. So basically, it provides an official API for um, accessing web services through WCF. Cool. So in a nutshell, it's essentially what we had with Azimex services yep. uh, in ASP.NET AJAX and providing it now uh, out to WCF as well. There's nice. actually a whole lot more there. Uh, you can provide pure REST services, whereas the stuff that I'm showing in that blog post is specific to uh, the AJAX-style callbacks. Okay. So what it allows you to do is you can essentially uh, cut out ASP.NET AJAX on the client side and just use jQuery directly to talk to um, the WCF backend. Okay. Wow, that's cool. So um, what is the demo, actually? Uh, the demo that I'm using there is uh, a stock application, a stock portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. And so it shows off some of the features that, uh, uh, some of the effects features. It shows off how to actually get the data and pull it in. And then also to how to interact with some of the REST features that are provided by WCF 3.5, which is actually serving images, for example, from the web service and directly displaying it inside of the page. So it provides a nice cross-section of some of the functionality that jQuery actually provides. Now, you also wrote a photo album. Yeah. And this is pretty nice, huh? <laughs> nice fade-ins and drag w- dragging windows around semi-transparently and uh, right. beautiful. And all of that is, is done using jQuery. And it's, again, most of these effects and some of these things like draggables and droppables are part of jQuery UI. Mm-hmm. And they're very easily done. And again, it's... Uh, in a lot of cases, it's literally one line of code that you attach to a selector to make an element draggable and to be able to hide and show elements and uh, provide uh, uh, effects on that actual display mechanism. Man, are we ever blurring the line between the whole smart client? Like this whole drag and drop into different frames and stuff. Tell me where the where the smart client ends and the web client begins. Yeah, I I love the these kind of web apps that are that are real real nice windowy kind of things. Yeah, but it, you know ultimately building these kinds of web applications is still difficult, even if you use something like jQuery. I mean, it, mm. it is much much easier than you would uh, expect it to be, but it's still a lot of work because remember when you're building web clients like this, you're still in a disconnected environment. Right. 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 Sure. So you're not writing a fat client application where all the data is always available and quickly to you. Everything has to be done asynchronously. You have to download the data and then update the, uh, the document uh, after the callback returns. So there's always a little bit more work involved in, in building web UIs like this. Nice but the nice thing, too. of course, is uh, when you do it with the web, is it's, it's readily available for anybody to see without any installation, yeah? <laughs> no, I'm just looking at pictures. Uh, <laughs> sorry. That's what happens when you live in Hawaii. Well, there's some nice photos there. Do you take these? Uh, yeah, all of those photos in that photo album I, I took, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. 
And there's actually, you know, there's a ton of other photo albums that use that same mechanism. So if you want to check that out, that's cool. So how does this, uh, how does this interact with uh, Visual Studio or .NET? And I mean, it's just standard JavaScript when it comes down to it. So, you know, the JavaScript editor is your friend, I guess. That's true. So when you write code with jQuery, of course, you're going to write some uh, JavaScript, but all things considered, the amount of JavaScript that you actually write is not that much. So the photo album, I actually checked it out, is I think 120 lines of code actually behind that, or something on that order. So it might have changed a little bit since mm-hmm. I've actually worked at it last. But there's not that much code actually there. Um, so you're working within Visual Studio, and Visual Studio is your friend, and it does help uh, having the latest version of Visual Studio 208, of course. Um, if you haven't done so, uh, you definitely want to install the latest hotfixes for Visual Studio. For 2008? To, for 2008, yes. So it's not the service pack that's coming forth. Uh, coming in some time, but there's actually a hotfix that you can get for it. And what it does is it's... Uh, One of the features that they've added there is better support for third-party libraries, uh, including jQuery. Okay. So you can actually get uh, some uh, IntelliSense support for jQuery there. Nice. And there's, uh, which natively wasn't available previously, Uh, there's a few things that you can do to improve that on top of that, which is basically by annotating uh, the JavaScript uh, libraries with some of the ASP.NET AJAX syntax that they use for syntax uh, for IntelliSense. So there's a few tags that can be added into the documents, like a reference and parameter types and whatnot, that make it much more uh, interactive yet than what you get natively. So okay. I think uh, from what I've heard is SP1, and I haven't installed that yet since I'm on the road, um, is supposed to make all of that functionality natively available so that you don't have to patch anything manually which is kind of nice. Yeah, that's kind of nice. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) So you also have uh, links to a couple of reference things here. There's a jQuery reference sheet, print sheets for printing them out. Um, Is there that much to memorize that you need a print sheet? Yeah, there's a fair amount of stuff to recognize. I mean, uh, again, I, I, I don't have an actual number of functions here, but I'm looking at a sheet that's printed in about eight point and it's full. Wow. So there's a lot of functionality that uh, that you can do. So just to give you some idea, um, so we've we've looked at some of the CSS functions. There's functions for traversing the document. There is uh, DOM manipulation, so you can apply HTML, you can apply text, you can retrieve a value very easily. Mm-hmm. There is things like being able to append HTML DOM content to other uh, elements or appending. Uh, to the current element that you're on and actually appending other elements into it. Um, there's functionality for effects. There's event handling, which event, is a big yeah, one, actually. I was actually. just going to say that. That's, that's huge. Yeah, event handling is pretty important, and jQuery makes that a snap, too. It basically provides you with event handler functions that you can apply to a selector. So, for example, you can say selector, whatever the selected set is, dot click, and then simply create a function on that and that function will actually be called on any click event that occurs. So it's an, it's an event handler that gets hooked up natively. Hmm. And what's nice is jQuery provides you a couple of things. First of all, it always calls you in the same context. So it always calls you in the context of the actual element that was clicked or hovered over or the key was pressed on or the mouse moved over or whatever. So this, in the context of 
um, that event is always going to be that DOM element. In addition, it also passes you an event object. So jQuery basically provides you a normalized event object that uh, gives you the capability to look at any browser and get the same uh, event parameters passed to you. So different browsers uh, return event information differently. So if you look at the source object in Internet Explorer, it will be something different than the source object that you see in uh, a Mozilla-type browser. Right, and that's where you have to have code that forks to say, if my browser is this, do this. If my browser is that, do that. Exactly. Nobody and likes jQuery to write that code. essentially no normalizes all of that and gives you one end object that you can talk to, and it will always give you consistent values back. Awesome. That's amazing, really. I mean, now we talk about the sort of the core things that this is doing for us. Giving us a common object model is a big deal. Yes, absolutely. So uh, jQuery is really not the first library that's that's come up with this idea of normalizing the DOM. Um, there's there, there have been several other libraries that did this beforehand. The most popular probably being a Prototype, okay, which is another JavaScript library that's also quite popular. Um, jQuery is kind of has uh, come a little bit later, but it's gotten quite popular uh, very, very quickly because it's it's got a simpler model for working uh, with with the DOM in general, and the whole way that the the community has grown around jQuery is is really quite exciting, and I think that's that's a lot of what has contributed for jQuery's success and becoming so visible so very quickly. What, yeah, what's interesting to me, of course, is that as soon as I hear framework around JavaScript, I think that makes JavaScript bigger. And the problem I already had was that JavaScript was too big. Or the, the code that you're actually executing is too big, right? I mean, that's what it really comes down to. Your JavaScript itself, when it, when it gets loaded, and that's what, that's what can take a long time, especially if you're doing a lot of UI stuff. Yeah. So, so J, jQuery is trying to be a very small library. So one of the goals of the library is, is to stay very compact. So the core jQuery library is actually very, very small. Well, not very, very small, but fairly small. Um, so the compressed library, when it's gzipped and, and uh, packed down, is about 19K. Wow. And That's then, great. of course, if you want to do some of the more interesting things like the sortables or the drag and drop, then you, you have to add additional libraries to it. But most of those libraries tend to be very, very small because um, the core jQuery engine makes the code that you write actually much more compact than you normally would. Well, and I like the ability to be granular so you can take that function out if you don't need it. Right, exactly. Now, I'm, I'm looking at the, um, the, uh, the PNG file that has a reference card on it, which is a very nice, very nice uh, diagram, by the way. I don't know if you did this, but it's beautiful. Yeah, I didn't do this, so I, I just linked to it. Um, yeah, these guys have done a really nice job. They also have a have a cool iPhone uh, version of this thing, huh. which is kind of interesting. You can actually, if you have an iPhone, you can navigate to it, and it's actually quite nicely done so that you can click, and it looks like a native iPhone application, even though it runs over the web. Well, the thing is, this is really brings home you know, what you can do with it just by looking at this reference chart. Um, and I know you mentioned this, but it's worth talking about again, is that this can work with Ajax and it, it has sort of uh, higher level wrappers around the Ajax things. Now, is it working with ASP.NET Ajax or does it work just, does it have its own Ajax implementation? What, uh, what, what implementation is it using? Is it its own? Yeah. So jQuery includes its own, uh, Ajax functionality and, uh, 
As far as interoperability goes, if you want to use it in combination with ASP.NET AJAX, you certainly can. There's mm-hmm. no conflicts. Um, but you can also use it by itself. And if you want to do AJAX to WCF, as I mentioned earlier, you can, you can basically just use jQuery and not use any of the Microsoft AJAX libraries if you choose to do so. But this gets back to sort of the bare essentials of what AJAX was about, which is I have a web service out there that can retrieve data for me, and the client is calling it, fetching it, and rendering it. That's pretty much it, yes. And this is kind of what I call the raw AJAX programming, yeah, where you're just dealing with the server as a data service as opposed to uh, an HTML generator. Right, yeah, the HTML generated on the client, not on the server. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of different ways that you can actually accomplish that. Um, and jQuery actually makes that process, and th- this is really where it excels, and makes that process a whole lot easier. Hmm. So I got to think that where this is hard is that it's really not a visual design tool. No, it's not, yes. Right. You <laughs> this is back to building JavaScript. UI with code. Yeah, but I mean, we're, we're, when we're looking at web development in general these days, as complex as web development is getting in terms of layout, the, the visual tools, I mean, think of the Visual Studio Editor. How yeah. visual is that really? They haven't yeah. really caught up. Yeah. yeah. And if you really think about it, I mean, if you're building complex sites, the truth is that the Visual Studio Editor gets in the way more a lot of times, um, uh, the visual editor anyway, uh, for designers especially, that most of a lot of people are actually using just the HTML markup window to, to do most of their layout. So this is really no different. Yeah? You just have to run it in order to see what it's actually going to look like. Oh, man, there's some nice stuff here. I'm looking at some of your uh, links to the, to the plugins. Mm-hmm. The jQuery cycle plugin. Yeah. Which, it, which cycles through photographs uh, by fading one into another. Yeah, the cycle plugin is, is one of the coolest things to check out. And it's, you know, it's something that you can plug into your own applications, again, with very, very little code. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it does all sorts of very, very cool transitions from one image to another. And there's about 20 or 30 different effects you can apply. And some of them are just really amazing, for, especially for web applications. When you're not think, and I'm not thinking about photographs, I'm thinking about Almost the iconification of elements of a of a business app, even. Sure. Yeah. It's just a lot of different directions you can go in with this. I did. It just feels like we've got a whole development model here. That here are essentially controls in the form of plugins going against a a fairly lightweight framework that just makes the DOM less of a bear. Yeah. Check out Farbtastic, the color. Yeah, picker. I saw that. You it's see beautiful. That? It's a color picker. So you have like a wheel where you, you have your primary colors all, all around in a wheel, and then you've got uh, how they mix with white and black, your standard. Uh, and, of course, then you end up with a color code. Yeah. Very cool. All, all resolves to a color code. Um, what is it about the DOM that has made things so difficult? I feel like we've got everything we've... This is only wrapping up features we've always had. It's just that we didn't know about it. Yeah, well, I mean... the. If you really think about it, um, the, the biggest problem in, in, in client-side development has always been the DOM. It's just that it's different in different browsers. Yeah? So if you look at the Internet Explorer model and you, you work also with Firefox and maybe Opera and Safari, all of a sudden you realize the vast majority of coding that you do to make things work is not to actually make things work, but to make them work in all the different browsers. Mm-hmm. And that 
it's, it's just a model that needs to go away. And unfortunately, the browser vendors aren't stepping up to making that happen, right? Well, and it, and it isn't getting any better either. You just had a blog post where you're talking about how hover behavior changes in IE7. Yes, yeah. that's correct. Uh-huh. Like, I'm just staggered. <laughs> What's up with that? IE7. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy when we think about it. And, you know, as each new version comes out, more and more differentiation occurs. And even a tool like jQuery actually has to figure that out. And while they can abstract it, eventually the code base gets so complex to actually trying to figure out, well, for this particular operation, we need to do this and this and this. And reams of code and, and execution cycles are wasted just trying to figure out what's right. Yeah. But, yeah, if you think about it, there's really no easy way to back out of it now. <laughs> Well, we're going to be stuck with older browsers for some time to come, and um, well, I don't know what the solution is really. Yeah, I don't know so either. the best solution that that people have come up with is these libraries that can actually wrap these differences and give you a common object model, which is a good way to go, I guess. Well, and it strikes me that the jQuery folks just happen to step back at the right time and come up with a good abstraction across all of those browsers, so that we have a, a simple library for doing this. That's absolutely it. And then the other bonus is that it's really, really easy to build these plugins. Okay, so the model that they came up with is, is basically a simple function that you can implicate on a specific object to plug into that jQuery wrapped set. So in order to create a, cl- a plugin, all you do is create a function, actually, and that function actually has then ap- access to that matched uh, wrapped set that allows you to get access to all those matched elements. And it's a super simple model. So if you want to build a simple plugin, it, it literally can be done with like two or three lines of code. And uh, you can, of course, take that a whole lot further, like some of these really cool plugins like Farptastic or the Cycle plugin to, to do really sophisticated stuff against all those matched objects. It's really, really easy to, to extend and work with. And that's also why there are literally uh, almost a thousand plugins available now, and they're growing on a daily basis. If there's anything that you need in terms of DOM development, chances are that somebody's built a plugin for it already. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, how do you find plugins? Uh, if you go to the jQuery site, there's actually a plugin session, a section that you can look at, and uh, that's how you find most of, of the plugins that are available. So jQuery.com is sort of the hub for all these plugins. Yeah. What's also very cool is the jQuery team, if you look at the documentation sometime, has uh, strict requirements on how plugins can be registered there. So you, you need to have documentation, you need to have samples, and they need to follow a certain pattern. So all the samples in the jQuery documentation, actually all the, uh, the reference material is laid out in exactly the same way. Everything has a little sample with it. You can click on it, you can run it, you can view the source immediately. And the same thing, the same requirements are made for the plugins. And most of the plugins that you see actually follow those guidelines. So right off the top, you have something that you can run on a website, take a look at, and then just, you know, even copy the code out and use it right away. So uh, it just follows kind of the rules that is everything should be simple and easily discoverable. Um, and that's what I personally like about jQuery. How in the world are these jQuery guys making a living? Um, I don't know. <laughs> because, I mean, the code's all freely downloadable. Uh-huh. There's a donate button. Yeah, I think the jQuery guys are actually supported by a commercial company at this point. Um, there okay. is somebody who's sponsoring them. And that there's a donate sense. button, and I think they're actually getting a fair amount of do- uh, donations from that as well. 
Well, and I and I also imagine if they're selling, you know, the, this is almost like the CSLA model too. There is a book, and and I got to imagine as soon as you get interested in this, you're going to buy the book. Yeah, there's uh, a number of cool books actually out there, um, and I have them listed on your list there. Um, the one that I really like is uh, using jQuery, and uh, that's a great introduction to just how jQuery works. Even if you've used jQuery before and you're fairly familiar with it, it's a great one to take a look at. Just because there's always new ways you can look at jQuery and, and what it does. There's so many different ways that you can apply it. So looking over other people's jQuery code is, is one of the greatest ways to learn, of course. Well, you know, ViewSource has been our friend forever with uh, JavaScript, hasn't it? That, that is true, too, yeah. But it's actually nice to, <laughs> for me personally, I still like looking in the book and actually have an explanation of what it does. <laughs> and why we did this. Well, yeah. and it, and it's almost like a challenge to see how few lines you can write to get the results. Yeah, actually, that's that's one of the things that uh, maybe gets overdone a little bit. So when you look at some of the jQuery samples, you know, you have like one vector with 20 methods applied to it, which gets a little crazy at times. So I guess you can, you can break code up if you choose to do that. But uh, ultimately... Um, you know, it's just code. It's just another line of code, whether you apply a selector or, or a function to, to a command or whether you actually write it out explicitly. So one of the things you might want to think about is, is well, I'm already using ASP.NET AJAX. Do I need jQuery? And uh, so, the, first of all, as we mentioned earlier, uh, you can certainly use jQuery in combination with ASP.NET AJAX. But also, if you choose to, you'll find that there's a ton of uh, uh, plugins available. Mm -hmm. And some of these plugins might make very good ASP.NET controls. So, for example, um, some time ago, I actually took uh, a date picker control that exists, the jQuery date picker from Mark Urbanski. Uh, and I decided, well, this is a useful tool, and I'd actually like to wrap that up into a control that I can reuse and simply drop onto a form. And it turns out it's not terribly difficult to do that, even though there's no explicit model to do that for, uh, in ASP.NET, given that jQuery is just a client library. So uh, it's, it's relatively easy to do that, and the advantages of doing so is that you can actually uh, wrap some of the related resources like style sheets and images. Uh, you can also wrap the, um, the jQuery library itself into a resource so that when you actually use this component, like the date picker, you can simply drag and drop it onto a form, set a few properties, and you're done. So that's kind of a cool use of, of jQuery in combination with ASP.NET and have it behave almost like a native control, even though you're using something that's not native to ASP.NET. It's actually totally client-side. I mean, I, mean, I know you, you're, you're telling me this will work with ASP.NET AJAX, but... And that makes sense to me in an existing application that it wouldn't break my existing ASP AJAX implementation. But if I was starting from scratch, isn't the sensible thing to do to just pick one or the other? Like, why would I do some processing on the server, some processing on the client? Well, um, I, I think it's still easier to generate initial content on the server. Um, so if you are building an, a user interface, typically not everything tends to be AJAX. Right. AJAX based. So you have your base content that you want to display, and then you want to manipulate that content, and that usually happens in AJAX. So for me personally, I, I very rarely build a page that's entirely client-driven, um, but is rendering something onto the page, and then additional content comes in that is AJAX-driven. 
So um, you can certainly build applications that are pure AJAX, but I, I find that it's often easier to, to do some server-side rendering it, 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 to get the initial content onto the page. The other consideration there is, of course, that if you have uh, deal with clients that have JavaScript disabled altogether, um, you still have something that shows that might be useful enough for the user to do what they need to do and use AJAX kind of as, uh, as, a, as, a, as just a cream of the crop type of scenario. Now, do any, does anybody do that anymore, actually turning a, a, a JavaScript off? Yeah, you'd be surprised, actually. Uh, a lot of large companies still have policies that don't allow JavaScript. That's yeah, crazy. It's crazy. It is crazy. But, you know, the other angle on this, I mean, we're talking about the AJAX side of jQuery, but that's not the only thing in here. It's only one sort of corner of everything that the jQuery does. I wonder what this combined with MVC would be like. Because oh, the one thing I see that's a challenge with MVC is making great clients because you've, you've given up the web control. Absolutely. So jQuery is actually a great option because, first of all, ASP.NET AJAX really doesn't work all that well uh, directly with MVC at this point until Microsoft huh. retools a little bit because uh, basically ASP.NET AJAX relies on the page model. Uh, on the what model? On the page model, the ASP.NET page model. Oh. So you have some dependency there that uh, if you want to do client-side programming, there's no real easy way to call back. You know, you can't put a script manager on an MVC page, for example. That just doesn't work <laughs> because it's a page control. So jQuery is actually a great alternative if you're using a tool like MVC or you're using even some other development environment. And the nice thing is that if you do that, you, uh, if you use jQuery, you can, of course, use it with any other tool. Uh, if you decide to, you know, write a few PHP pages or whatever, it, it works with anything. It's completely tool agnostic or server agnostic, at least. Yeah, that that is kind of amazing. You could use this as a bridge across multiple environments. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's, hmm. I'm just, uh, I'm boggled now. I'm thinking of all the possible directions right. I could take on an existing app or an alternative app. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, choice is always it's always uh, kind of mind-boggling in that it, it gives you sometimes too much choice and too many things that you can do all of a sudden. So you're never really sure what's, what's good for you or what's, what's too much. <laughs> it's kind of a scary thing to think about. Yeah, there, there are worse problems in this world. True. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> too much choice. It seems to oh, be darn. Uh, it seems to be one of those things that keeps popping up these days. You know, what do I do? Do I build a Silverlight application? Do I build a web right. client application with jQuery? Do I just use ASP.NET AJAX? Do I skip over AJAX altogether and just yeah. do server side? I mean, there's just a million different options that you have at this point. Yeah. Well, and, and thinking architecturally, you know, we've generally done this, and ASP.NET is the culprit. ASP.NET made us a very server-centric way of doing development, that yep. it, it was figuring out what browser you were using back on the server and then sending out code that was specific to that browser. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now, you know, we're sort of pushing back to saying we're wasting a lot of horsepower on the browser side, but ASP.NET AJAX really didn't solve that problem. No, it didn't. Um but, you know, it's, it's also, I think it's somewhat wrongheaded to just put the blame square, squarely on ASP.NET because if you really want to, you can absolutely build these applications with ASP.NET and even with the ASP.NET page model. Okay, I mean, it's just a matter of how much do you want to rely on what the server-centric model provides. 
but the capabilities to do so, to build pure client-centric applications, is absolutely in the capability of the ASP.NET page model as it exists today. So, I mean, I know a lot of people these days are, you know, really harking on the page model as being, you know, guiding you the down problem. the wrong path, yeah. to which there's some truth. But the truth also is, is that you can uh, build really lightweight applications even with the page model if you choose to do so. Yeah, this is mostly about control abuse. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's always been that, especially with Microsoft tools. There's been the ability to do things the wrong way. Well, and I, I do think that Microsoft sold us a bill of goods to some degree. That The demos we got of ASP.NET Forever were the draggy droppy, boom, 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 here's your controls, you're done. Thanks for playing. Yeah, system.draggy droppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I almost see MVC as sort of the strike against that. They've gone as far the other way as possible, junking so much of that model and then putting a lot more obligation on the developer to figure out the rest. Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's a lot of good things about that, but there's also some, some very strong things that you lose. And the biggest thing is that you just have no control over the page that gets rendered with MVC. So if you want to build a control, for example, there's really no good way to do that because there's right. no way to manipulate the page as a whole. So especially, this is especially true if you're talking about AJAX technology because there's no way to actually take that data or, or that, that script code and inject it in various parts of the page. You only, if anything, have only one spot in the page that you can inject anything into. So having a page model is, is very nice and a client script object, if you, especially if you're dealing with JavaScript of any kind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I guess that's an interesting point that it's not, we didn't just sacrifice postbacks when we go to the MVC. We give up the entire page context. Yeah. And that that's a big cost, actually, for all of this. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how that works out for control developers, because it seems to me it would be very difficult to build any sort of reusable model that's, um, that's not just, uh, you know, inserting in one, one spot in the page. And that's, you know, that's, of course, what control developers need. They need multiple entry points to be able to hook into. And MVC doesn't, at the moment at least, doesn't do any of that. So, yeah. Well, and, and, and to be fair, MVC still in beta. We may eventually see that reintroduced because it is uh, recognized as too serious a loss. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's, there's certainly something to be learned. And if you want to build really client-centric applications that take advantage of a tool like jQuery, where you're just calling back for the data on the server, then MVC makes a, makes a lot of sense, actually, because it is much easier to create these uh, uh, data-centric views that return data back to, uh, to, 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 to a client like jQuery via JSON callbacks and server calls. So it makes that portion of it much, much easier, for sure. And I, I, I feel like we're starting to finally get a version of Studio that can develop a truly client-centric web client, and it doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> well, I just find it very painful. As soon as you step outside of the boundaries of the sort of expected development model of ASP.NET in even Studio 2005, you're struggling constantly. You might as well be using Notepad. Well, you know, it's hard to uh, it's hard to put down that rad tool. I mean, it's so nice and wraps everything up for you. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, you also got to remember that doing development um, when you when you're doing server side development and client side development. Just by its very nature, it's going to be a little bit harder than just doing server-side development, right? right. You're Absolutely. adding one more level to your application now. 
and you're flipping just through one more document now to actually make the changes to the application uh, logic. So there's one more level that you need to debug, that you need to test, that you need to actually step through and work through. And, yeah, it'll take some time to get all of those tools right. And I think Microsoft is uh, slowly coming around to that. I think they've known it for a while, but it's taken them some time to get the tools in place. Right. So uh, we'll see where that all leads. But my guess is that by the next version of Visual Studio, they'll have that right. <laughs> well, and it's nice to see them appreciating the model and, and seeing some great results like this. I mean, you know, uh, jQuery is just very compelling. I think they've really figured something out here that's going to make our lives better. I agree. Rick, it's been great having you on the show. This is good stuff. I had not uh, seen jQuery before we talked about it, so I'm very excited to get my hands on it. Okay, that sounds great. Well, that's what it's all about, right? Getting more people interested in this stuff. Absolutely. And turning a more few more people into JavaScript believers. Remember like a, a couple of weeks ago when we were doing that Dev Connections thing mm -hmm. that you were doing and you were asking people to raise their hands and who wants to do JavaScript and like nobody right. raised their That's hand. Right. Well, I'm going to turn you guys into the, the guy that raises their hands. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, do me a favor, uh, hang 10, dude. <laughs> yeah, not for a while, man. I'm stuck here in Switzerland. There ain't no waves here. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later. Thank okay, you. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, and thank you. We'll see you next time on .NET Rock. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a